0: Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Tory. Let's get better together.
1: In the classroom tonight
0: is uh, Ron Mackey and uh, Coach. We're really excited to have you in. All right. Well,
2: I appreciate y'all having me, man. This is an honor.
3: Yeah, we 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 like getting coaches who have influence and and spark like leadership qualities and, and stuff like that. And it's uh, it was a no-brainer to get you in the classroom. Um, and we're in, we're in season four, so uh, you know we just want to get started by you telling your story a little bit of of um, your background, and then we'll go into some more detail stuff as we go on.
2: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to keep this uh, short and simple. Don't want to bore y'all. <laughs> I have I come from a long line of coaches um, my dad's a basketball coach going on 33 years my grandfather was a coach my aunt is a coach my cousin is the head basket or the assistant head basketball coach at a Presbyterian college it's a D1 college in South Carolina the crazy thing is all of them coach basketball and I'm the only one that coaches football so I I've always liked to hit things as weird as that sounds I was always an aggressive child and football was the sport that I could do that in I, I tried soccer I am one of the few people that had was banned from playing rec soccer because if I was dribbling the ball and someone was coming to take it I would always kick the ball away and just knock them down <laughs> and when I found when I w- was finally able to play football I just fell in love with it so I played In high school, played in college, tore my arm up, had to get Tommy John surgery. Luckily for me, uh, I had coaches and my father that stressed uh, grades, so I had really good grades. I wasn't the stereotypical jock that, you know, had that 2.3 GPI. I was a top 10 in my class, so I went to college. I met my wife there, soon-to-be wife. Um. I've been with her for about 15 years. Please don't tell her that I, she's not gonna to listen to this anyway, so she doesn't know. <laughs> Got two kids, I've been coaching for 10 years, I have a podcast, I have a YouTube channel. I'm trying to, trying to get big time like you guys.
3: Oh, stop. So, here here's here's what I wanted to have, you know, you coach quarterbacks, obviously. Yes. And I'm so intrigued by that position as a wide receiver coach on, you know, wide receivers have a unit, you know, and there's about, nowadays there's four to five guys, if you watch spread offenses, and that's what you're big in is spread offenses. I'm, I, Here's where I'm, my question is to you about the quarterback room is, and I tell my kids all the time, like, hey, and I even tell my son, you know, you don't want to really be a quarterback because there's only one that gets on the field at a time, but it's a prestigious position. But if you want to be a receiver, you know, there's four or five. Unless you play in, you know, a 1970s offense, there's going to be two of you. Uh, Just what's your take on coaching your quarterbacks, the psyche behind the quarterback position? Uh, I'm really intrigued by that. And and what you do uh, to cultivate relationships slash uh, keep the competitive edge inside your quarterback room.
2: Well, where I've been, there's really only – there's never really a competition there's only one guy mm-hmm. it's usually one varsity guy and one JV guy um, I take it that he needs to know everything I do so I need to take everything I know and simplify it to its essence so that he knows it right because you're not playing the game you know it's it's really the kid that's playing the game. And I know you made that little riff on 1970s offenses. I think that's the reason why a lot of coaches don't throw the ball or don't go spread is because they don't want to give the keys up. They're scared. They, I call it the TB coach, the tight blood hole coach. Because uh, you know? yeah. it's, it's really simple if you're a coach when you're doing the wing tee or something like that to go, hey, I want you to snap the ball and hand it to this guy, and that's it. And the only coach that actually throws the ball a lot are those that are like, hey, this is what I want – Uh, and then here are the keys you can drive the car because I trust that I have taught you enough so that's as in the quarterback room I'm trying to get them to see all the options that they have you know it's not I I may call a run but you have all these other choices before you even get to the run and that's a struggle and you have to let them fail a lot of coaches don't want they can't stand when things go bad in practice right and I'm trying to tell everybody, listen, I want things to go bad in practice so that when it's in the game, it doesn't go bad. Like I want you to fail over and over and over again. And I'm not one of those guys that scream. The only time I get really mad is when you don't give me effort. Right. Because in my mind, there's only two things you you can not control. How you react to something and your emotions and your effort. Everything else you can't control. So if you make the perfect pass and the wide receiver drops the ball, why are you flipping out why do you get moody and start yelling it's not like that guy m- purposefully meant to drop the ball right that's an outcome that happened control you out control it mm-hmm. so in the end there i'm not one of those dub that's a genius and knows the body mechanics and you know the proper arrow uh a- angle of the elbow and where she goes I, i'm i didn't do that i just know that uh I want good feet, so that's kind of what I stress. Um, throwing the ball in rhythm, I guess you could say, kind of like Dub's thing. I don't want you to hitch up eight different times and just stare in on one guy. But I'm, I'm more of the mental aspect, um, right? if that answers your question. Yeah, it I does. Kind of there.
3: Yeah, no, it definitely does. And, you know, I think – and I like what you said, the, the TB coach. And, and in today's age, it shows that there's more teaching that has to happen in the game. Because you said it best, you know, it doesn't matter what we know on Friday night. It doesn't matter what we know. It's Are, are those kids confident enough to, to perform what we've coached them to do during the week? Uh, so, yeah, that, go ahead, JT.
0: Or have you made it simple enough that they can process and understand? And, you know, Coach Mackey, as you're talking, uh, I guess I just think about, you know, it's easy to have trust if you've got a senior quarterback and you've had three or four years, and to build a relationship with him, it's easy to give him the keys. What what do you do? How do you build that trust when it's a sophomore stepping in for the first time?
2: Um, You kind of limit it a little bit. I, I equate it to when your, your teenage son or daughter first learns driving, you know? Hey, go get, go get groceries. I trust you enough to go get groceries. I'll go pick up your little brother or sister. You, you give them little baby things. Yeah. For example, um, let's say you're an RPO type team. well you can either hand the ball off or throw this pass. That's it. I'm not going to okay. give you the ability to throw the gift or to throw all this. If I want you to do that, I will tell you right But then when you start seeing it, when they do get groceries really good and they can make two or three trips without crashing or they pick up your your brother or sister and you know they're they're still in one piece, then you go, okay, well now you can you can run two errands or three. And you, you give them a little bit more responsibility. Um, I, I I don't believe in just saying, hey, you're just going to hand the ball off. Because then you, as a coach, you need to see the future. And if you can see the future, we wouldn't be coaching. We would own stock in Amazon and Google and, and all those other things. So I, you have to give them at least one out. And then don't get mad if the kid either makes a mistake or the or the defense makes a good play, you know there's 11 guys on the other side of the field that they do make plays from time to time. Right. So don't flip out and, and act crazy when just tip your hat and be like, Hey, that was a good play guys. Let's go get another one.
3: Yeah. I think a lot of coaches do that though. They'll, they'll, yeah. they're that knee jerk reaction. Like you didn't do this exactly how I wanted you to do this. And now it's like you said, you know, we throw the gift in our offense and um, a lot of times like the gifts will be open and early in the season, we have a, a rookie QB come in and, they missed the gift, but they hand the ball off and like, well, they got 50% of it. Right. So I think it just goes to, you know, you don't, you don't let them go drive the Porsche without driving the Taurus first, you know, the kind of the deal like that. So they don't
2: get the nice car until they can prove they can put no more dents in that old one. (laughs)
3: That's right. That's right. Well, here's, here's what else I want to get into as well with you, because you have a huge influence in the game of football with your YouTube channel with your social media, with uh, your website. Can you kind of talk us through how that evolved? Because I am so intrigued on, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, just before we got on with you, you, you had our the uh, Houston Roughnecks wide receiver coach, A.J. Smith on there talking stuff, and, and he and I go back uh, from two years ago and uh, was coaching with us this past year. Uh, just can you talk us through that process of how it all started. Because obviously you saw the future and what this could be and how spread offenses go and stuff like that, so.
2: All right, well, the origin story, it's not as beautiful as as you made it sound. (laughs) Uh, When I first started, honestly, I didn't want to get into football. um, I've got a double bachelor's degree in mathematics and computer science. I wanted to be a computer scientist and the 2008, you know, collapse happened. I couldn't mm-hmm. find a programming job. And while I was in college, I, for a semester, I was a manager for uh, USC, the University of South Carolina. was uh, like second to last year. I wanted to get in the college route. I, uh, I had a choice of either staying and going that route or going with my soon to be wife. And, you know, I'm, I'm under the philosophy that life kind of sucks. So if you find someone that wants to spend the rest of your, their life with you, you're like, okay, that's cool. So I went with her, but I would always go back to my hometown and help either volunteer when it was football season or help my dad out in basketball. So I was in the coaching thing. And when a lot of people tell you, Hey, you're really good at this, or you're kind of good at this. The kids kind of like you, um, you should think about this as a career. That's kind of like the Lord saying, Hey, this is what I want you to do. Hmm. And I got into it, but the head coach who was nice to me while I was volunteering was, pardon my friends, a huge dick. Like he bullied me, and I would ask questions. I was that eager college guy, like, hey, why don't we run this or hey, why don't we do this? And all the old coaches were going, shut up, you know, just sit in that corner, don't say anything, don't ask questions. You'll learn in due time. And that really got me mad. Mm. And I always said to myself that I don't know a lot. Like I'm, I'm smart in the in the thing of saying, I know I'm not smart. So I'm smart enough to know I'm not smart. And if I learn anything, I want to be able to put that out there because I'm not unique. So if other, if I want, if I'm interested in this, there's gotta be someone else that's interested in it as well. So when my firstborn was born, Aria, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, Aria is my favorite (laughs) character. I read the books and the the series. Um, My wife got me a GoPro. And it was my t- and the reason why she got me the GoPro was to put on my quarterback so I could see where they're looking, through their progressions. Well, it was my it was my turn to put Ari to sleep. I put her to sleep, and y'all know it, sometimes it's a struggle. So you finally get them to sleep, and you're just like I'm wired now because that was a struggle to put a kid down.
1: So I decided, you know,
2: I'm going to put the GoPro on. I had a whiteboard. I'm just going to draw one back power. It was my first RPO that I got. To install, It worked really well. I want some other coaches just to see it. I don't know if anyone's going to see it or not, whatever. So I put it up there. And then three weeks later, it had like 15,000 views. I was like, oh, my goodness. There's actually people watching this? And so I did another video, and that got like 5,000 views. And then that just led into the rabbit hole of YouTube, putting out stuff. And then I I did that for – two years just putting stuff out, grinding it out. It replaced everything, like any free moment I had, I was putting it because I was able to connect with coaches that I've mm. never been able to connect with before. And I decided, okay, I want to learn more stuff. I don't want to read it, but mm. I'm talking to all these coaches. Maybe I could interview them. And that just led into being able to interview different coaches. Cause I go in it as Yes, I'm putting the interviews out there for coaches, but really it's for me. Right. Um, I'm kind of selfish. I want to talk to smarter people than me and learn from them. And if other coaches find that interesting, fantastic. If not, don't care. This is, this is strictly just for me. And luckily, all the coaches like it as well. And I've been blessed to uh, make a lot of connections. And I, I'm thrilled, man. It's never a dull day. Y'all know that. Y'all talk to some great guys as well. Again, like I said, I'm just trying to get on y'all's level.
3: (laughs) No, we're not even, we're not even there, man. So that's awesome. Uh, That's kind of how JT and I view this thing is, uh, you know, it's a clinic for us. Every time that we interview somebody, we're going to learn something new and uh, then we get to share it with others and we're like, like we're. We want to we want to grow, as we say all the time, it's like let's get better together. Well, we're going to get better, and then if other people want to get better, that's great. So I told JT, I was like, man, I just looked at our numbers, and I just do the SoundCloud things. I think they're the most accurate on numbers. But twelve thousand people want to listen to us. That's you know how many people, And look, this is Brian Kite's thing. But you know how many people listened to us before we got started? Zero. <laughs> yeah, zero. Uh, so it's cool, you know. You know, I just, and I think, I just,
0: yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think it's great. Um, and I think human nature says, don't put your stuff out there. You know, don't connect, save it yourself, copyright it yourself. Don't share it. Let people buy it, whatever. And that's just not who Weaver and I are. And uh, so it's really refreshing to hear that that's not who you are either.
2: No, I mean, I, I just put it out there. Yeah. If if people like it, that's great. If not, I don't care. You know, I, I still sleep like a baby whenever I go to sleep. I don't. That's right. I also think a lot of people they don't want to chase their passion because they are afraid of what others think. Mm. And I learned very early on that a lot of people, everybody's their main character in their own story. So they're really not worried about you you know? And that's fine. I mean, I'm the same way. I'm I'm the superhero in this story. But if you put yourself out there, especially in this day and age, um, and you just share what you like, like, I know y'all are huge culture guys. I'm a huge spread guy. Mm -hmm. There's other culture guys out there that love that stuff, just as much as they're spread guys. So you got to find your own niche. And that's how you build a sense of community, especially now when you know, you can't even go to the mailbox with fear of catching some horrific virus right now.
3: (laughs) Great point. Great point. You
0: know, it's really crazy. And I think that's so valuable to anybody out there. Uh, One of my best friends from high school, he lives in the Atlanta area. And he talks about how he grew up with his dad being a super entrepreneur and his dad's no longer with us. And I honor him in my book a little bit with a chapter dedicated to him. But this is my best friend from the time we're in kindergarten and he just called me at the end of the day and he's like you you know you do so many things that are entrepreneurial entrepreneurial with my book and our podcast and all this stuff that you're describing and it's like i don't necessarily do it to be entrepreneurial i just do it because that's who i am in my core at the end of the day and i want to connect and you're 100% right when it comes to the world's going to judge you no matter what you do yeah. i could write my same book 200 different times, and it's going to look different every time I do it. I'm going to use different words. I'm going to change sentences. I might switch chapters around. The characters might develop more. The characters might develop less. So it truly is just about throw it out there and kind of play as you go and edit as you go and grow and get better and challenge yourself.
2: Yeah. Perfection is the enemy of uh, just progress. (laughs) I mean, you, you get your own set. Like I'm not going to release this unless it's perfect. Nothing's perfect. Yeah. Throw yeah, it out there. Ready, fire, or aim, man. That's, yeah. That's my motto.
3: That's why I, that's why I sent you in the, uh, the DM. I was like, we can add, edit, delete, whatever. And there's a lot of times I go back and think about when, cause you know, JT and I connected over one of these schedule graphics that I do and uh, man, how many times did we record the first intro for it to be perfect? I was like, yeah. what are we doing? And now it's like, you know what? Just put it out there. We're going to put it out there and just let it rip. And,
2: and you get
0: better with practice over time, too. I mean, how long have you been doing this, Coach? Me, uh, God, this is I'm going on six years now. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> so not only are you ahead of the game, but you are way more valuable than we were and I because we're only 15 months into this deal. You know what I mean? So,
2: you yeah. level up as you go. Yep. exactly. And the, the more you put out, the more you level up. You, you got to wait through a bunch of crap to find those gems, man.
3: Yeah. And that's and, and that goes back. And this is so cliche that, that coaches talk about all the time is, you know, failure equals growth or failing equals growth and stuff like that. So I, I, I like what you said, though. Just put yourself out there. You know, if you fall, just get back up. If you fall twice, make sure you get up three times, you know, right. stuff like that. So. Uh that's awesome. So here's I'm a huge spread guy. So this is what we're going to dive into a little bit as uh, right. as we go through. Look, he's getting excited. <laughs> um let's uh cuz I'm huge spread. I mean, I was spread back 2008, 2009 when I was in Louisiana uh coaching and and they had this old coach who was split back veer and I was like Four point stands. <laughs> That's my world now.
0: Like split back beer has a place in spread.
3: <laughs> so, and I was thinking, I was like, we got to do something different. So, a little bit to give you my background, and then we can hit off some spread stuff and philosophy, and and how kids react to this type of offense now, because I think it's important. Um, is I learned from Bill Matthews, if you know who that is, Shane Matthews, no. Shane Matthews, the quarterback at Florida.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Okay, okay, okay. His dad was at North Sunflower Academy when he retired in Drew, Mississippi. Oh, wow. Yeah, where Archie Summer Manning's Flower? from. That's the name? North Sunflower. Oh, God. I know. Drew, okay. Mississippi, where Archie Manning's from. And yeah. so I learned a little bit about spread from him. And I, was, I went in, I said, uh, Bill, who are you talking to? He goes, uh, Spurrier. I was like. Who? He goes, Steve Spurrier, I was like, stop. And he's sitting at his desk and he puts him on speakerphone. And he's talking about like, razor water. I was like, what? And cat and dog, like all these plays that he has, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, and he's going up. So that's the offense that we run, and that's when I was like really introduced to the spread, and I was intrigued by it, because when I played high school, I was a quarterback, but our receivers were still in a three-point stance. I mean, I'm just saying, and I'm only 39 years old, so that was 1997, eight, that they're in a three-point stance, so imagine, and this is where I'll get into the spread, this is where I'll get into the spread.
0: We call those tight ends up here, so those wide receivers in a three-point (laughs) stance.
3: So let's, here's, this is where I want to go, so... You know, you mentioned wing tee. You mentioned I mentioned, I just mentioned split back veer. That's uh, Coach Tory's world up in Iowa. Is you know they're gonna pound the rock. RPO to them is run pissed off. That's
1: right. You
3: know it, it's not run pass option. It's run pissed off. So I want to talk about the kid's psyche for coaches that are hell bent on going on the spread, turning over the keys as we talked about earlier, letting the kids have options. Uh, letting the quarterback have a little bit more fun, and basically let the coaches start playing Madden 20 on Friday nights.
0: Yeah. And one, one piece to add to that, too, and maybe this is a better starting point with Coach Weaver, and I agree with everything Coach Weaver said with where we want to steer this conversation, but talk about, like, one of the biggest changes in mine my coaching career is we went from the, you know, 34 dive to single-word play calls. And I think Mm. all that fits into exactly what Coach Weaver is talking about. Yeah. So
2: maybe give us a little bit of that evolution. I honestly think since it's – that's a great question. (laughs) It's a lot.
0: It's a lot.
3: (laughs) Good Lord. But look. (laughs) But look, if I had the spread in high school – like we went to shotgun my senior year and I was like, what is this? And that was 1998. I was like, Coach Morgan's going shotgun? And it was in the playoffs. I was like, what are we doing? He's like, we got to do something different. And he – put the quarterback in shotgun and put, instead of two receivers, he put three out there. And I was like.
2: Yeah. So it was, I'm trying to think, like, when I was in high school, you're only three years older than I am. I'm fixing to beat 36. Okay. So I graduated in 2003. That was right when, in South Carolina, Rich Rod was the offensive coordinator at Clemson. Yep, there you go. That's um, right there. Yeah. people were starting to dabble in the in the shotgun and stuff. We, we were straight up I was a part of the state championship team in two years, my 11th and 12th grade year where I only lost two games and we were just so athletic that we could have ran any offense and would have been good we were one of those teams but luckily for me we were in the spread mm-hmm. and we had a lot of good dudes and I, I just remember when I practiced against our team And when I played in the state championship, another spread, I hated playing it because I didn't know whether it was going to be a run or a pass, even though we still ran, you know, a lot of coaches, they still have the same stuff where we're going to spread out and still run. But just the threat of the pass, it Mm -hmm. just, it sucked. And I was a halfway decent linebacker, but my best games and the games I love playing against were teams against the wing tee and things like that, because all you had to do was just follow the guards. Like, I don't, I still don't understand read to this tea. day why people hate the wing tee. Yeah, I think it's because coaches just overcoach and complicate because they don't have a, a set way of doing things on defense. You know, just teach your linebackers, follow the guard, whichever side of the center you're on, that's the guard you follow.
3: Yeah, read your triangles. Yeah, read your triangles.
2: That's it. That's yeah. it. Watch the, watch the wing away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but then once, you know, a couple of teams were successful in the spread and it started showing up in college and things like that. And you could see a lot of the smarter guys passing the ball around and stuff like that. Kids were like, Oh my God, that's awesome. I want to do that. And then I think the advent of the bubble mm. just changed, changed everything right there. Just from a kid's perspective, like, Oh, I can get, I can get this pass. All I got to do is just backpedal.
1: Yeah. Like,
2: that's it. And I can just catch it and, and throw. And that's, it really it, it, it changed with mummy mummy and leech when they went to kentucky and they showed that hey you can pass the ball and be successful and then you have those early adopters you know that are like you know what i'm going to try this as well and nothing else is working so let's go ahead and try it and then that kind of has a multiplying effect um i really wish that you know the run and shoot guys would have done what what mummy did and just mm-hmm. freely gave it away because I think that that offense is deadlier, yeah. but it's just so secretive that no one really – I mean, you have to know, like, the secret fist bump and all that stuff.
3: Right. There's so um, many. There's so many. It's like a combination. There's all kind of things gotta, that get inside yeah. that, you gotta that come vault. By. It's
2: kind of like Fight Club where you're on the, the steps and you get told to go away. Yeah. And if you go away, you lose. But if you just stay there for three days and don't move and don't bathe or anything, then like, okay, he's he's being honest. Let's, <laughs> let's bring him in. But I just think that when kids see that you're able to pass the ball and have success and stuff like that, more kids come out and it's kind of like a feedback loop. Mm. Yeah. Everybody. That's why basketball. So, so fun. I mean, let's be honest. If you have a group of guys, let's just say 10 guys and you roll out a basketball and you roll out a football, everybody's going to go to the basketball. Why? Because you can pass the ball, you're running around, you're in space. Everyone gets to touch it at least once during a game. And you don't have that for football, especially for teams that just hand the ball off. They don't want to play football. That's why their numbers are dwindling. And if that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. It is true. I mean, in this day and age, if you got to do one of two things, you got to have a, a stout program that wins year in and year out. And guys just want to latch on to that and say, hey, I'm a part of this program. You know, look at me. Right. Or you've, you've got to be fun. Yeah. Because you're, you're competing with a lot of stuff now. Yeah. And I, I don't care. You can blame Fortnite or video games or something like that. When I was coming up, it was NCAA uh, football. Yeah. Everybody want to stay home and play NCAA football.
3: You yeah. know? That's it.
2: Or uh, Xbox. Before that, it was Nintendo and Super Nintendo. You're always going to find. I, I mean, shoot, back in a- ancient Greece, what uh, Aristotle was complaining about the youth. I mean, it goes back to BC. So you, you need to change with the times and. I just find that when you spread it out and you you let everyone touch the ball, everyone gets excited.
3: Yeah, and that's you know that's what we did. Uh, you know, Coach Davis, our head coach is he's an evolver. He he takes pieces and kind of blends it together, and then you know that's kind of the reason why we threw for five ninety three in the championship game. I mean, that's unheard of in high school football. <laughs> but he he has this idea that he. With the RPO and the way we go and the way we play, I mean, our numbers are going up and up and up. I mean, and we went to state championships and lost. Like we'd get to the game and lose, but kids were still wanting to come out because we're passing the ball around and he's coaching quarterbacks. He's got, you know, he's got the VAR, he's got that but he's making it fun to where on Friday night it's like he's got a controller. It's so fun. You and know, and he's better
2: than when you actually teach your kids. Yeah. And they come to the sideline and they're like, hey, they're doing this. They're doing X. We need to call Y. Mm-hmm. And then when you're on the sideline and you call Y before the plays even snap, you, you go, hey, guys, touchdown. Yeah. And it actually <laughs> happens. I think that's the best feeling in the world, like yeah. of anything, you yeah. know? I we, just think it's amazing. You, you feel like you're the smartest man in the, in the world.
3: Yeah. So I'll tell you a quick story about how the spread kind of <laughs> saved one kid on our team. And uh, if you see the picture, uh, it's like one of my probably favorite coaching pictures where I'm jumping up in the air and I'm like bringing down some thunder or whatever with a kid like chest bump, like going and doing the jump with him. He about about quit football his sophomore year because he was in the slot and and he wouldn't work very hard. And I just challenged him with what to do. And I said, if you do X, Y, and Z with us, you're going to get the ball. I mean, we're not telling the quarterback to throw to the left or throw to the right. We're telling him to throw to the guy that's open. You know, you yeah. got to go through yeah. progressions. Are you capped? Are you uncapped? Or, you know, and he we called him the prep killer because the first game he had nine catches for 115 yards. The second time, this is insane. He had seven for 185. there was a kid that was going to quit but he you put us put us in a in a I formation team where we have a split in and a flanker and there's only two dudes and they run them in and that guy never gets on the field so I think there's so many success stories with going to the spread and getting multiple people involved and and going tempo now which is a game changer and playing even faster uh, it helps save kids and bring I mean the kid I just talked about, he's like five seven, a buck forty five. <clears throat> Good lord! You know, and he just—I mean, he's just—it's fun for him, and and I think, you know, you bring, you brought up the analogy about basketball. It's like basketball on turf or grass, whatever you play on. Yeah.
0: But yeah. it just—you know—I think I think another characteristic of the spread that's changed in the last fifteen years too is the take the mobile quarterback and allow – that can throw, that's an athlete, take your best athlete, put them in the quarterback position. Because in high school football, your best athlete has to touch the ball every play, doesn't? don't they? I mean, yeah. that's still a, uh, a key point that doesn't matter what offense you run, that has to happen. So then the spread is perfect because then you have three or four multiple weapons, you've got a power run game that you can run out of it too, and now all of a sudden your quarterback is another runner, so you give the defense another person that they have to account for. Mm.
2: It's the beauty. That's why I love it, man.
3: So, what, what, we'll go into philosophy a little bit with you.
2: Okay.
3: Um, with spread, are you a call a run, RPO? Like, is your run always going to have an RPO with it, or are you just going to have straight yes. runs sometimes? But everyone's going to have RPO? Yeah,
2: and I've gotten away from the key screens. Because here's my thing. I, I know you're going to hate this because you're a wide receiver coach. We put those guys out there to catch balls. We don't put them out there to block.
3: Fact. All right. So, I'm going to let our um, head coach hear you say that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to say, you need to go listen to this part. Just listen to these four minutes. I, I just hate,
2: you know, it's that Chip Kelly, um, you got to block if you want to get the rock. No, if, if I want you to block, I'll take you out and I'll put another guy in that's sole purpose is to block. So we, you know, we did the key screens and, I call them the L and the R, you know, people got X and Z. I'm just dumb. I don't know what the X and the Z is. So, you know, you're on the left side, you're on the right side, that's it. Uh, they would always get blown up by the by the corner because the corner doesn't have to worry about it. You know, he if he sees a screen, he just has to go and just meet. And I'm asking my guy to sit there and and hold the line when a guy's got like a six-yard head start to come and blow him up. To me, that's dumb. You know, that's that's really dumb. So what we did instead – Was we just put everybody on hitches, all four guys on hitches, and then the quarterback comes up and he goes, "Okay, which do I have anything? Is anybody open pre-snap? If it is, he just catches turns and throws it. And the way we teach our hitches to the uh, wide receivers is just one-two turn. Hmm. That's it. So you know it's one-two, and then when they turn, the ball's right there. Then if it's not there, then you know you just you just run your stuff. Yeah." And I want I want my guy to have the chalk last because I, I I don't know what the hell that guy's gonna do defensively. <laughs> there have been games where we've prepared for like a three-four cover one, and then we get out there and it's a four-three cover four. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen it at all, you know. And I just think that I can't control what the other opponent is doing, but right. I can control what we do. Right. So I'm gonna focus more on what we do and not what
3: they do. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, everybody has this millennial Oklahoma where they have this and that. Like, I'll tell you, I got chewed out because our receivers weren't blocking good enough. And it's not like that we weren't doing the drills when, like, we were not tough enough. I mean, we were doing it, but you got, like you said, you got a DB coming down. Like, what are we doing? It's like, well, and then you watch these... Yeah, you watch these college guys and like, oh, they're getting eight to ten yards on that. Well, yeah, look. Okay, sure, we're in high school. Let's let's, you know, yeah, those
2: guys are six five and have a, like, two twenty. Yeah. They lift all the time, and you know, I, like you said, your slot, five eight, one forty five. Exactly. And at that slot, he's supposed to block a linebacker. That's apex. No, yeah. get out of here. You're just just gonna get, just get out of here. Yeah, so have them run around. I think the other thing that makes uh,
0: running key or you know the wide receiver screens hard is you have to spend a lot of team or individual time with the quarterback and the wide receivers repping it, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons we went away from it a few years ago. Was we'd rather have our quarterbacks hand off to the running back or hand off, you know, work the mesh point rather than spend all that time throwing that twenty yard screen to the to the perimeter oh. uh, for a four or five yard gain. If you know at best, um, so I think that's a really interesting point. Tell me a little bit about how you do personnel. So, like, do you stay one personnel group? You know, from series to series, do you mix it up? Do you ever no, it's, try it's, to like it's bring just, it's one
2: uh, just for one. two reasons? One, we don't have that many kids or different types of kids. You know, to swap them in and out. Mm-hmm. And two, that's just that's too much work for me. I don't I don't want to be like okay, let's bring in twenty two personnel. Or something like that. No, they just put one personnel out there. Now if you if you've got a guy that's big, you know, like your Y, that can both be flexed out and put your hand down, great. That's that's really simple to do. But I don't to me it's all about getting reps. And if I have multiple personnels with Mm -hmm. different guys coming in and going out, how do you get the reps to be perfect? Right. I, I'm, I'm a big uh, believer of the Bruce Lee quote, I do not fear the man that practices 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man that practices one kick 10,000 times. Right. So if I have my guys out there and they're just working their stuff over and over and over again, my thought process is most teams only have three days, two and a half mm-hmm. max to prepare for what you are going to do. So that's not enough time and if we've been doing this since the spring if you install your stuff and you don't change it like a lot of coaches do halfway through the year or put more plays in if you just perfect it you're going to be great that's what makes Mike Leach so good yeah I mean he he go back and watch I'm giving my boy a shout out Drew Piscopo he throws cut-ups of things when Leach was starting out at uh, Texas Tech and then what they did just this past year and they're the exact same yeah there's a lot of smart coaches in college that still can't stop it. That's right. Yeah, the same thing with uh, Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean the only reason why he didn't win that many games is because Georgia Tech's stupid in the fact that they have such stringent rules to get athletes in. Yeah, when he was at Georgia Southern and they got athletes, they were running shop. Yeah, it's a. I mean, yeah if it works it works you just keep doing at it so it's something we went to also like we used to switch up
0: you know we'd, we'd be 22 personnel for a while and then we'd switch it up and we'd go 12 personnel uh or whatever and uh we've started to go to now every other series so while the defense is on the field offensively we're together getting our next grouping rotating kids in so that we can get as many touches or as many snaps to guys uh, on our team as possible because, really, it's that bottom third of the roster that you have to work into the game because if you don't, you're limiting your potential as a team.
3: That's interesting. You you brought a point. We don't use X or Z either. We use L and R, and the left stays on the left and the R stays on the right instead of flipping those guys back and forth. Um, So that's interesting. There's a lot of things that we do that you do that are eerily similar, and I was like, I call
2: wow. my slot the F because he's the freaking fast guy.
3: Uh, we're, we're still H-Y, and then here's what's funny, and I'm I'm probably going to show my ignorance, but all these personnels, like, I'm terrible at math, and I don't want to remember what 12 to who's a running back, how many receivers, oh, I how many, like, I, don't tell me that. I don't want to know what 22 and 23, so when I did this thing in, uh, in Arkansas, they were like, what personnel? I was like, we're in regular. Like, what's regular? I was like, we have a H-N. They're Like, what personnel is like, it's regular. I don't know. We call it regular. What about I'm your sorry. receivers? What about what about when y'all are in 10 personnel? I was like, uh, that's, I think, Cheetah. You know? And then we had, like, Rabbit. Like, we just called it stuff. Like, anything, and this is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but anything that clouds up those kids' brains yeah. of, like, what's, all right, 12 personnel, 22 personnel, like, who who's running back? How many yeah, tight ends? Man. How many receivers? What, I mean, I mean it is like for me, and I played quarterback. And they're like, we yeah. need uh, twenty-two personnel. We're gonna run thirty dive. I'm like, I'm just handing the ball off, okay? <laughs> you know? <laughs>
2: yeah, I agree. And then you get the personnel. Is it eleven? Is it twenty? Yeah. Well, if he's on, he's off. I'm say like, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I care. If know. I'm being one hundred percent honest, I don't care. I just want to get that ball across that white line.
3: Yeah that's it that's it it.
2: and I think it's about simplifying the game too because as you guys are
0: talking there a little bit and and I know we kind of make fun of it but but this is where football has evolved uh, from when we all played but I remember in college like 800 series was our sprint out passing game you know (laughs) And so it's like everyone's on the sideline, 800, 800, 800. Well, that's great, but that doesn't help me on the field. You know? <laughs> yeah. I still have to, then I have to process 800, and then I also have to get the play call of what's actually going to be called. It's way easier to just have your grouping and go, and we play a lot faster that way. All
3: right, so i got to ask you this, Ron. You ready?
2: Yeah.
3: NFL play calls. While we're on this deal about simplicity and effectiveness, and faster is better. I want your take on why these NFL calls are so long. I know it has to tell everybody like what to do. It seems like you're you're solving a, a jigsaw puzzle. And then you say cut, and then something else. You're getting them two plays in one.
2: My uh, my favorite is that that um what is it John Gruden when he was at the Bucks was it Sims or whatever was having such a difficult time getting it out <laughs> and it was like a paragraph. Yes. And. It, Gruden was getting mad. I I think in the NFL i i am probably read this from Chris B. Brown who's a genius uh since there's so many trades and you don't guys they pull up and guys they don't they have to have that long so it tells everybody what to do yeah. I do know that when that one year at the Patriots when they went fast they brought in Chip Kelly the year before mm-hmm. and then they used tempo and everything like that they were one word and they were just killing it um I, those NFL guys, I don't know. They have all that time, too. I think they outthink themselves yeah. and everything. I mean, what I loved about the XFL was you could hear what Mommy was calling and he was just straight up <laughs> like Blue 92 yeah. or June Jones. You know, he was uh. just like trips right, 61 go. And you, you just know what it is. And then you have someone like Norm Chow who's speaking a book and <laughs> they just break down, the play breaks down. I I, I know.
3: Yeah, and I think, and, and you go look at the XFL, and I talked to AJ about this, a lot of the coaches brought the NFL mindset to the XFL where you didn't have that time to prepare. You didn't have that amount of time. And I think nope. that's why Houston was so successful with uh, June was they kept it so simple yeah, and were effective. you know. And I hated the season got cut short with, Covid nineteen or whatever it is, so I hate because they were they they were doing so many good things.
2: Uh, I was surprised by the the practice structure. How simple it was. June's practice was simpler than the air raids practice. mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: and And that's what that
2: just proved to me right there. Even if you think you have a complex offense, if you know it inside and out and only have a couple of plays, you can be really good at it. At the end of the day, it's a game. Yeah. It's a game that you want kids to play, and coaches want to to coach to forget about all the bad things. Yeah. It's a distraction. Yeah. And sometimes I feel as coach, yes, you want to build up the men, yes, you want to prove, you know, give them life lessons. But sometimes we make it a lot more serious than it really is. Because those I don't know how it is at your school, at all the schools I've been at, all the kids come from a broken home, so. They don't want to go home, yeah. you know? They, they really don't care about, i don't take that back. Some of them care about the game, but a lot of them just want to be around their friends or like to be around adults that actually like them, that's not yelling at them all the time or telling them they're worthless mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And if you take that approach that, hey, this is a two-hour distraction, that the kids can feel loved and that you can have fun, then good things are going to happen. But a lot of coaches go out there, they scream, they yell, they dog cuss and all of that stuff. And then they wonder why kids aren't coming back out. Yeah. (laughs) It's like put two and two together, buddy. You know, I just went to a workshop and we talked about that where really
0: you want to talk about simplifying our athletes. You're either coaching one of two people, you're coaching the abandoned or the people with abundance. And it, it comes down to exactly like what you're saying. It's got to be fun. They've got to they feel like they belong there. They've got to feel like their time is valued and that they're making memories. Otherwise, it's like we talked about earlier where there are so many other things they could be doing.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. It, I I'll look at it also this way, and this is really weird to you them. Know, if you think back and reflect on your own high school experience, you, you don't think about a lesson. Oh, I'm glad I learned the quadratic formula oh man, I, I wish I can go back and relearn Romeo and Juliet. But what you do is you you reflect on those teachers that actually showed that they cared, that you had a relationship with. And I know that gets lost in this, you have to win all the time or you got to get the test scores up or something like that. But my approach both on the field and in the classroom is when you leave me, you're either going to leave the same way you came in, so whatever mood that was, or you're gonna leave better. I'm never right. gonna make you be worse when you leave my classroom. Right. That's just my philosophy.
3: Yeah, and I tell them a lot. Kinda of woo woo. Yeah, I, I tell them a lot, like, there's kids, like, you can tell when a kid's had a bad day. Right. You can tell that. And I tell them, "Could we go through some gates to go on our practice field, and I said, look, here's my challenge to you. Whatever's bothering you, when you cross over that gate, leave it there. And forget about it. It's your now. If you want to come back at the end of practice, you can choose to pick it back up or not when you go back in the locker room, when you take it back home. Like, you choose to pick it back up or not. So, I think a lot of times, and that you bring up a great point, it's the relationships that the coaches build with your players. Like, and I think about Tony Dungy when you said the yelling and the screaming. Tony Dungy never yelled, never yelled. And you go back to it is a game, it is a game. And at the end of the day, I mean as we're going through right now, there is no game. Yeah, I know. I know. There is no game on all levels. And, you know, I, I'm reaching out to my kids now via this, just sending them messages and communicating with them because a lot of them don't know what to do because they don't have no. that relationship piece of their friends seeing in the locker in the locker room or even in the hallways at the locker before they go to break or lunch or whatever. Um, And I think that's what's missing, uh, and kids thrive on that. They want that companionship, that relationship piece.
1: Yeah, I completely
3: agree. Well, I don't want to take up much more of your time, but there is one thing we always ask every guest. What's that? Are you ready? It's your it's your carrying trademark, and it's a John Gordon deal. Okay. And it's for Coach Tory. He wears purple shoes during uh, on wrestling match days. For me, uh, during track season, it's a Tiger Woods deal. I love Tiger Woods. Uh, I wear red on our championship days for track. Um, in football, it's I write handwritten notes to my guys uh, before every game. So, do you have anything like that that you do with your quarterbacks or any anything? Do you have a carrying trademark?
2: <laughs> okay, when uh, this is this is great. I don't know how many – growing up, um, my favorite movie was Basketball. Have you ever seen that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so do you all know the happy dance when they would get in a bad mood and be like, dude, do the happy dance, do the happy (laughs) dance, and they have to do it? Well, for my quarterbacks, if they get in a funk – like I've done this in the middle of a game before. And here's the perfect story. We were playing our, our rival, and my quarterback was struggling. He threw an incompletion on first down. He, pulled, he made the wrong read on the zone read and lost three yards. So it's third down and like 14. He's moody. Head coach calls a timeout. And I can just tell him my guy was in a funk. So the head coach is just screaming at him. I get my quarterback off to the side and go, do the happy dance. And he's just <laughs> looking at me. I'm like, do it right now. Man, coach, I ain't doing the happy dance. I mean it, it was against a rival, it's packed, everybody's screaming. And I go, I swear to God, if you do not do the happy dance, I'm taking you out right now, putting in the backup, I will get fired, I don't care, you're gonna do the happy dance. So he looks at me and he goes, do the happy dance. And I go, no 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 no, you've gotta do it. You gotta do the happy dance. And by that time my head coach turns and he goes, What the hell are you doing, Mackie? I was like, ah. I was like, do the happy dance. So the quarterback's like, do the happy dance do the happy dance and you can't do the happiness like i was smiling right now you can't do the happy dance and not have that feeling of like what in the world am i doing yeah so then we go out there i call the play go out there and he throws a 34 yard touchdown and he was just like i can't believe that worked and at the next uh team coaches meeting or whatever the head coach tells that story and he's like my god i was like what the hell are you doing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when he threw a touchdown, so I wasn't going to say anything. I was about to chew you out, but you got the result. So long-winded story is when I know that my kids are in a bad mood, and this goes for everybody on the offense. I tell them to do the happy dance, when they have to do it. That's
1: and awesome. They do,
2: I mean, and the, and the crazy thing is sometimes I get in a mood, and the kids go, Coach Mackey, happy dance, let's go. And I, you can't dish it if you can't take it, so I have to do the happy dance. I've been known to do the happy dance <laughs> on the sidelines
1: before, <laughs> when on, uh, so that's my trait.
3: I love it. I love it.
0: Hey, I really appreciate your time in the classroom tonight. And uh, Coach Weaver, I don't know about you, but I got better.